This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have the September 6th, 1943 edition of the CBS Morning News. It includes analysis and updates on the war from Australia, Algiers, London, Washington, and New York. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ww2radio. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. CBS World News brings you the early morning reports of its correspondents at home and abroad. The first year of the highlights of the latest news as received up to 8 a.m. Eastern Wartime, Monday, September 6th. The RAF raided Germany again last night. The British invasion forces in the Mediterranean have scored new gains on Italy. Along the Eastern Front, the Russians have pushed ahead to new victories. And there are indications that the key city of Stalino is about to fall. Down on the Southwest Pacific, General MacArthur effects new landings on New Guinea. And now, here is Hugh Conover. This morning's Allied war picture is truly a good one. On every war front, new progress against the enemy is reported. In a moment, you'll hear direct reports from those battle areas. Coupled with the encouraging aspect of the day's warfront developments is a news note from Cairo which portends even bigger things to come. British and Greek staff officers from Cairo have traveled hundreds of miles through enemy-held territory for a secret rendezvous at the Balkan headquarters of Greek guerrillas. There they conferred with 600 leaders representing more than 50,000 Greek patriots and effected a unified command for an underground fight against the Axis. The conference established a long-term policy to fit in with Allied plans for intensification of sabotage in the Axis-occupied Balkan country. Down in the Southwest Pacific, General MacArthur has made a new landing on the shores of New Guinea in a drive aimed at Lai. For that news, we take you to CBS Australia, William J. Dunn reporting. In considering the successful Allied landings on the northern coast of New Guinea's Huron Peninsula, east of Lai yesterday morning, the most outstanding feature would come pretty close to being the almost total lack of enemy air opposition. The first landings were made considerably before dawn, but it was after dawn before the first Japanese airborne opposition appeared. Three fighters, three bombers, which succeeded in destroying two of our barges. Later in the day, almost six hours later to be exact, a force of heavy and medium bombers with an escort of 35 fighters appeared over the Morobi area, <coughs> miles southward down the coast, apparently groping for the base from which our forces emanated. Because of the intervening time element, this force obviously came from some distant base to make a strike move over under the protective naval barrage and smoke screen. The fact that that force didn't appear on schedule can be credited to careful preparation on the part of the Allied commander. The recent devastation of Wewak airfields and the concurrent raids on Rabaul nearby New Britain fields, which were reported in the same community today. 
In preparing for these landings and the investment of Ley, Allied leaders were sure of two things. That the initial landings could be made with a minimum of opposition, minimum of opposition cause of careful planning. And that the final reduction of the enemy's stronghold would be tedious unless the Japanese reverse all previous methods and throw in the towel. No one expects the latter to happen, although the position of the enemy really seems to be hopeless in that particular area. We are now squarely across their land line of communications with Finch Harbor. We have enforced an aerial and naval blockade of the water lanes to both Ley and Salomon for many weeks, and we have command of the air. That leaves the Japanese with the choice of surrender or an... That was William J. Dunn in Australia. We return you to CBS in New York. Chinese forces have captured the city of Wukang, 25 miles northwest of Hangzhou in eastern China, after repulsing Japanese attacks and launching a counteroffensive on their own. British invasion forces in the Mediterranean are making new gains in their breach of Italy's defenses. For a report on those developments, we take you to CBS Algiers, John Daly reporting. British and Canadian troops of the 8th Army have driven a salient 10 miles deep just above the center of the front in the sword of Italy, capturing the town of San Stefano and taking control of the road from there back to Reggio and the coast of the of Messina. On the northern anchor of the Allied line, troops are reported just east of Bagnara. At the southern end of the line, British forces are east of Malito, under the toe, moving along the coast road. The official communique just released says the Allied advance continues slowly in all sectors despite extensive demolition. Enemy resistance is still weak, but the 8th Army's advance is measured, not only because the mountainous terrain makes enemy demolition effective, but also because it waits for what is known as the build-up, for the transportation of stocks of ammunition and war materials of all kinds the supply depots on the bridge coast. It is reasonable to expect that the Germans have evacuated the toe and withdrawn well inland. Not only the weak resistance, but the extraordinarily low percentage of Germans among the prisoners taken, the total is now 3,000, are pretty clear indications that the Germans have moved out. Nevertheless, there is no reason for the 8th Army in modern parlance to stick its neck out and race inland into the toe, risking a counterattack before sufficient reinforcements and supplies have been landed to take care of any eventuality. Those supplies and reinforcements are pouring into the bridgehead. A naval communique issued this morning says the Straits of Messina are now open to Allied navigation. In the air, Allied heavy and medium bombers yesterday methodically carried out the campaign against enemy airfields in the Naples area. Flying fortresses attacked the Viterbo airfield north of Naples for the second time in six days, showering thousands of fragmentation bombs in the dispersal areas and dropping high explosives on the runway. Ten enemy fighters intercepted. Three of them were shot down. Medium B-26 marauders with two thirty troops from Elfcourt gave the same treatment to the Grazanisi airdrome and its satellite Grazanisi landing ground some 15 miles north of Naples. The escorting P-38s in this case were attacked on the way home by another 10 enemy fighters, two of which were shot down. The tactical air force gave its attention to close cooperation with the army operations in the tow of Italy, hitting its transport and enemy gun positions. During the night, Wellingtons were out again, this time over the railroad yards at Villa Laterno near Naples. Outside of Italy, medium and fighter bombers attacked radio installations and an airfield in southern Sardinia. In the last 24 hours, seven enemy planes were destroyed. 
two of ours are missing. This is John Daly at Allied Force Headquarters returning you to CBS in New York. The RAF pounded Germany again during the night. For that news and other developments in Britain, we take you to CBS London, Paul Manning reporting. Last night, the British staged another of their giant air attacks on Germany. They bombed Mannheim, Ludwigshafen, a twin city straddling the Rhine in the southwest of Germany where armaments and chemicals are made. Bomber command say the raid was made in very great strength. First reports, which have just been issued by the Air Ministry, state that heavy damage was done. The opposition which the RAF encountered was very active. Waves of night fighters were presumably again used by the Germans in their attempts to smash the attacking formations. The RAF also raided other targets in the Rhineland, northern France and Belgium as a diversionary operation. There were even battles in the Channel during the night when several British planes fought engagements with e-boats. One e-boat and a minesweeper were, des were destroyed. Nine German planes were shot down. But from both the mannheim Ludwigshafen raid and the smaller attacks, 34 British bombers and one fighter are missing. Commenting on the raid, German radio this morning have said that the British planes used for the first time both high-explosive and phosphorus bombs. One pointer to the size of this raid are the reports which have come in from coastal towns in the southwest of England. People who stood in darkened streets to watch the RAF pass overhead said that it took two hours for the RAF to cross the channels to France. And this morning, the offensive is being continued. The RAF have been crossing the channel all morning towards France and the Low Countries. Today, London is curiously apathetic over the town-by-town -town progress of British and Canadian troops in Italy. That is due, of course, to the absence of any pitched battles. London would like to see the German troops make a stand and fight a decisive engagement. There is great confidence here that Allied troops can smash those German divisions which were reformed after Sicily. This confidence partly accounts for one view in the British capital that the fall of Italy is not far off. And today, people here are speculating as to just when this event will occur. Today, British labor meets to discuss the future of the working man in Britain, America, and Russia. This gathering of the Trades Union Congress will be closely followed by everyone in Britain. Among the delegates are 10 Russian workers, which the Daily Mail describes today as unofficial ambassadors for Joseph Stalin. It is expected that a great deal of discussion will center around efforts to convince these eight men and two women from Moscow that labor in Britain is solidly behind an immediate second front. Yesterday evening, 190 American soldiers wounded in North Africa arrived at a British port. The hospital ship is steamed through the Mediterranean with blazing lights, and the Americans, as well as 65 British Tommies who were aboard, described the trip as a luxury cruise. I return you now to CBS in New York and Hugh Conover. An Italo-Swiss frontier dispatch says the arrest of Count Ciano and his wife and children is causing deep satisfaction in Italy. Along Europe's eastern front, the Russian armies are driving to new successes this morning. For those fighting developments, we take you to CBS Moscow, Bill Downs reporting. The German army is retreating so fast in some sectors of the Donbass that sappers are forced to blow up their own artillery and stores to keep them from falling into the hands of the Russians. The Nazis are making a sudden retreat in this sector, and they don't, and, and when they don't fight, they mine everything in fright to slow the Red Army advance into the knot of railroads that controls the communications of the entire Donetsk Valley. The city of Stalino has virtually been outflanked from the north. Other Russian forces continue their drive on the city from the east and southeast. 
Today, advanced Red Army troops are less than 10 miles from Stalino. In the northern Ukraine, the Russians are moving ahead at the rate of 3 to 6 miles daily toward the West Railroad Junction of Konotop on the road to Kiev. Other forces farther north are moving from the south towards Bryansk. Down in Kharkov today, representatives of the Soviet Atrocities Commission are carrying on their grim work of opening graves and interviewing residents of the city to get the story of Nazi war crimes perpetrated during the second occupation. When the Germans entered the city the second time last March, they did their usual job of killing Russian war prisoners and civilians. The executions in the second German occupation of Kharkov were not as widespread as during the first, but 300 wounded Red Army soldiers were burned to death in a base hospital there. Another 400 wounded soldiers were shot when the SS troops which first entered the city ran wild. I was in Kharkov last March when the Red Army took the city the first time. I thought it was a wreck then. However, when I drove up through the city the second time last Thursday, I realized what calculated destruction means. It takes a long time to deliberately destroy a city. The Germans did a good job the first time. But during their second occupation, they went over the town again and burned and blew up what they had missed before. Every major building in the city will have to be rebuilt. It's going to be a tremendous post-war job, as if you had to rebuild a city the size of Boston or St. Louis. The Russians plan to use German labor when they start this project. This is Bill Downs, returning you now to CBS in New York. British Prime Minister Churchill makes a radio address at noon Eastern wartime today from some American city as yet unidentified. On Capitol Hill, the House Ways and Means Committee is preparing to start public hearings Thursday on the broad question of war contract renegotiations. A prime issue is whether manufacturers now holding government contracts should be permitted to build up sufficient profit reserves to enable them to shift back quickly to civilian production. And that's the top news from Washington. Inside the occupied countries, there is continued trouble for the Germans. Reports from Denmark say the German army's communications with Jutland, the northern peninsula, have been severely hampered again. This time, Danish patriots dynamited tall tunnels and viaducts along a nine-mile stretch. Sabotage of railways in Jutland is said to have increased steadily since the German military occupation of Denmark. The Germans have replied to this increased sabotage by proclaiming the death penalty not only for spies and saboteurs, but for all persons supporting the saboteurs and failing to give information regarding them. In another occupied country, Yugoslav guerrillas have captured the town of Susak, north of Fiume. This gives them access to the Adriatic Sea. Meantime, German military authorities have a new case of invasion jitters. Now they're worried about southern France. Reports from the continent say they have cleared all civilians from a 50-mile strip of the French Mediterranean coastline and they also are rushing the construction of additional fortifications in that area. In addition, the Germans are said to have sent five to 10,000 engineers to Marseille and Toulon to strengthen fortifications in those ports. And that's the latest news. Once again, Columbia has brought you the early morning reports of its correspondents at home and abroad. This morning you heard from William J. Dunn in Australia, John Daly in Algiers, Paul Manning in London, and Bill Downs in Moscow. This is Hugh Conover reporting for CBS World News. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.